Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we just have a really, really big, just kind of a, just kind of just a talk, you know, because we're kind of getting to the point where we're in kind of a middle ground, we feel like. And so we've got Auburn just kind of in a, in a tough situation with the Brian Harson saga going on. We talked about it a little bit a couple of days ago. If you haven't listened to that, go and listen to that. Some good information in that podcast. You also have Auburn basketball going on. But Wheeler, just kind of as of as of Wednesday night at around seven thirty, just kind of give us your thoughts about just where Auburn is with the Brian Harson situation. How much has changed, and really, how how has your viewpoint changed over the past couple of days? And just kind of just kind of tell the listeners where you're at right now. I would say that my opinions on this situation have really shifted considerably in the past 36 hours and here's why so originally it comes out and it really seems like there I mean the optics of the situation are just horrible you wait till the guy goes on vacation uh you basically you're trying to fire him you've got a war happening on social media it's all happening while you're introducing your new president to the university it just felt and just stunk of just nasty board of trustee powers that be, whatever you want to call them, just filth. Okay. And so I think everybody kind of hopped on the, on the let's keep Brian Harson bandwagon. And we just assumed he hasn't done anything wrong. Okay. Because like we said on the other podcast, the affair did not stick. So I, I mean, we don't know for a fact that the affair didn't happen, but as of tonight, you know, Wednesday night, we're going to assume that the affair did not happen. All right, so you throw that assumption out. Then there was the story that he was verbally abusive, and you had all the players coming out and saying, no, he's not that. Then there was a small story about how there could be some type of racial thing, but it really never got mentioned by any of the players, even the disgruntled players. So that story kind of died. So then we got left in this weird vacuum where the fan base at large gets behind Brian Harson. You know, everybody's tweeting, I stand with Harson. Everybody's saying, I hope that the I stand with Harson chant starts at game day, this and that. And it starts, you know, the situation just kind of goes silent until today where a policy from the university comes out, which again, terrible optics of it saying that if you don't comply with the university investigation, you can be terminated. That coupled with Brian Harson's contract, which says that if he breaches a university policy, he is subject to termination without, you know, his buyout with calls. Um, And you throw in there, you know, something that was kind of trending on Twitter the other night about the law firm uh, that Auburn represented as outside counsel and their relationship to a board of trustee member. And again, it just, the optics look bad. And the optics still don't look great. But my thing is this. Brian Harson made a statement to ESPN. The players have come out and made statements. The only people that haven't made real statements and told their side of the story is the university. Okay, I really think that if you heard the university side of the story, that the optics might not be that bad because the the university story has kind of gotten leaked 
through some reporting, but has not gained the traction on Twitter because it's not as juicy. You know, there's not a not a thing where everybody's like, oh, there's the big bad boogeyman of these five donors that control all of Auburn and they're trying to wreck Auburn right now. Like that is a great story that everybody wants to tell and wants to believe so that there's somebody to blame. The optics that the university could potentially argue, and this is, again, assumption, but everything that we've gone off of so far has been assumption. It sounds like Derek Mason, when he left Auburn for a job to take a reduced salary, said some very concerning things in that meeting. Okay, so this is a guy that's been a head coach at Vanderbilt, has been a defensive coordinator at Stanford. Him getting fired or leaving the defensive coordinator job at Auburn is not going to end his career. And I think that he's a very intelligent person that is mature and is an adult. And so when he comes into a exit interview and is saying concerning things, that's different than, you know, an 18 year old that thought he was going to be an NFL starter and didn't get to play at all this year and is transferring to UCF. Okay. So Derek Mason has his exit interview. Brian Harson goes on vacation. Whatever Derek Mason said in that exit interview launches an investigation inside of the university. And this is where rumors get started. So one guy tells one guy, hey, there's some trouble with the football program. I don't know what it is. And that's how you get a rumor of, oh, Brian Harson must have slept with his secretary. Or, oh, Brian Harson is verbally abusive. Because you start thinking of what could it be for cause. And you, you don't see compliance involved, so you know it's not paying players. And so if it's not paying players, it's got to be abuse of some kind, you would assume, or some kind of sexual problem. So everything that's come out maybe is not being fueled from these, you know, the big bad boogeyman behind the scenes, but maybe it's just the internet and nobody, like nobody can track back where this, where this rumor started. You know, like if it got tracked back to these people, that's one thing. We don't, we have no idea where any of these things are coming from. We don't know what these allegations are. These could not even be what Auburn's investigating. Auburn's clearly investigating something with the football program. And there has to be some kind of meat on the bone. Because if you were going for a witch hunt because five dudes that donate a lot of money, you know, want to get rid of Harson, and then it all blows up. I mean, if you are Auburn, the investigation has blown up in your face. Right? I mean, nothing good has, has come from this investigation for you. The fan base is all behind Harson. If the you compare this back to Jetgate with Tommy Tuberville. When the fan base got behind Tubbs, they kept him because they knew we can't do this. This like the witch hunt died. That's what witch hunts do. When everybody, you know, when it all comes to light, they say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. And the person's safe. That hasn't happened. Like Auburn is still continuing to work behind the scenes on this to figure it out. And I'm starting to believe that there might be something there. Now, I'm not saying that he did do anything wrong, but I am saying I don't think that the university's investigation has been satisfactory in saying he didn't do anything wrong. So here's our best outcome here. <clears throat> At this point, I think the best outcome is he did something wrong and the university is able to fire him for, for cause. I think, honestly, right now, a really poor, the worst situation is that 30-day policy that came out that said, if you break the university policy of not doing an investigation, you have 30 days notice to comply or you're terminated. Okay, 30 days gets us into spring ball. So we would be in the middle of spring practice or they would have to tell the head coach, you cannot start spring practice because you're under investigation. Either one of those kills this football season. Even now, having the cloud of uncertainty, potentially losing Carnell Williams, Zach Etheridge, your two best recruiters on your staff. There's a cloud over the program and it needs to get figured out or it needs to get be made public so that the coaches know what to do, whether they need to look for a job or whether they're going to temporarily put, you know, Harson on a leave. I think that might be the best option here. If you think you're going to fire him, put him on leave and promote somebody as the, as the head coach for right now, because it's a mess. Nobody knows what this season's going to hold, and uncertainty is not good 
in this day and age of college football, especially for people that have other offers. Because the only people that aren't running when there's a bunch of uncertainty as to where the program's going are the people that have no other options. And the reason they have no other options is probably because they aren't very good. Or they really love Auburn, which is an idealistic view of things. But at the end of the day, I mean, no matter how much you love Auburn, sometimes you got to put food on the table. And it doesn't matter that you're loyal to Auburn because if Georgia comes offering and they're offering a really good job and you don't know if you're even going to have a job at Auburn, that's not disloyalty to Auburn. That's watching out for your family and for your career's interests. I like If Zach Etheridge chose to go to Georgia, I'm not blaming him one bit because the university has done a terrible job handling this. Like, no one even knows what they're investigating. They haven't even come out and said, this is what we're investigating. Like the Cam Newton thing, you knew. They were investigating. Did Cam Newton get paid $180,000? No one knows. We literally have zero idea what they're actually investigating. The most that we know about what they're investigating is from random Twitter rumors. So it's a really tough situation. And even if he gets exonerated and the university uh, says, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, Brian Harson's our football coach, we're 100% behind him. Do you know how hard it's going to be for him to recover in recruiting? Because the narrative is already out there, not that a bad an exit interview went bad and they did an investigation. The, the story that's out there is, the Board of Trustees doesn't like Brian Harson. They're not supporting Brian Harson. They're going to fire him as soon as he has a bad season. How do you recruit against Alabama and Georgia when the narrative is as soon as they can get rid of Brian Harson, they're going to get rid of him? I mean, you can't. So it's a it's a terrible mess, honestly. And there's not a lot of good solutions to get out of it. But at this point, I I'm in, I'm intrigued to see what the truth is. And I think that even if he's exonerated and stays as Auburn's coach, which I highly doubt happens, highly doubt that Brian Harson is the coach at this point. After all of the Twitter stuff and after all of the fans getting behind him and them still not budging at all, there has to be something to this. There has to be. And so whatever is there is not good. And it'll eventually come to light. But right now, it's just a dark cloud that I don't know the answer to. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the, the biggest problem. It's just like you said, it's the cloud. And as long as the cloud is there with every day that the cloud stays over this program is a horrible, horrible day for the program because you can't recruit right now because no recruit is going no recruit is going to commit somewhere or get close to committing somewhere with this going on. Because nobody, I mean, you know, there are a very few select people that really know what's going to go on and really know what's going to happen. If you take it like, you, you know, you mentioned Zach Etheridge. He could be offered more money at, let's be honest, a better, a better you know, arguably a more prestigious school under a better head coach in a better situation in an easier conference and an easier state to recruit in. Like, I don't care. Like, I, I don't care how much you love Auburn. Like, that's that, – you'd be – he'd be stupid to turn it down. Like, unless Auburn matches or exceeds the salary that Georgia's offering him, he needs to go to Georgia as a career move for him. It would be ridiculous for him to not go to Georgia. So, all of a sudden, you can lose – even if you keep Brian Harson. there's no guarantee that you keep Etheridge or Williams. And – those are really the guys that we need to keep. Like, if we hire a new coach, I'm fine with every assistant coach getting fired, except for Zach Etheridge and Cadillac Williams. We need to do everything in our power to keep those guys here. So, you have a couple options. You can either, you know, like you said, you can either keep Brian Harson and have a problem. You're going to have a problem if you keep Brian Harson. You just are. Because there's obviously something going on. The donors have made it very clear that they want him gone for one reason or the other, whether they just didn't like the guy at first or they didn't like him. And what I think is kind of a, one of the reasons is that they didn't like him at first. And now let's say he's done something and they're going to get it. They're going to get him out because obviously something is happening. It's not a witch hunt anymore. And so you can either get rid of them and bring in someone else. And let's be honest, like, I, I think, 
people are a little surprised. The, the names and and if if Brian Harson gets fired, we will have a podcast. We'll discuss all the potential head coaching names, all that. But the potential names that we could bring in are better than what people are thinking, and they they really are. We could bring in a coach that is more proven than Brian Harson ever was, and there's no doubt in my mind, and more proven in the SEC. So. The potential head coach hire is not that bad, and I think that if Brian Harson is fired, I think that 2022 could be a good season. And I think that there's potential that it could be better than what it is with Brian Harson. The issue is, I think Brian Harson's a good coach, but I don't think that he can survive this. I don't. It, even. Yeah, and I think he could have been really good at Auburn. Like, yeah. I'm not changing my mind about what Brian Harson could have been. I just think it was already a stretch of what he could be at Auburn. But when you add this cloud and all of this stuff that just happened on top of something that was already going to be a challenge for him to change the culture, I just think it's nearly impossible for him to do it under these circumstances. I didn't before. If you had asked me a week ago tonight, because this is the night that it broke one week ago, before all this broke, I still thought Brian Harson was the guy. I thought he was going to get Auburn turned around. And I think that he can get a program turned around. I just – the toxicity that is happening. Because to win championships, you do. You have to have your donors and your coaches and your athletic directors all on the same page. And everybody says that that's a toxic thing about Auburn. That's a toxic thing everywhere. Like – the reason that Mike Gundy stayed at Oklahoma State for so long is because Boone Pickin loved him. That's why he stayed there. The reason that Alabama was not very successful until they got Nick Saban is because it was just like Auburn. They were not being successful with mediocre coaches, and the donors were not okay with that. And everybody says, well, do you think that the donors tell Nick Saban what to do? Well, no. But Nick Saban is a to – I mean, he's the greatest college football coach to – like, he's doing what the donors want him to do. He's winning national championships. That's what they want you to do. People say, well, do you think Kirby's doing what the donors tell him? I bet he is a little bit. I bet he can back off a little bit now that he's won a national championship. But no. I mean, that's how college football works. That's how everything works. If your bosses all hate you, yeah, they're going to tell you what to do. And if they hate you, they're probably going to get rid of you. Like, that's just how the world works. You can't just say – oh, this guy's got to have absolute freedom, and these guys that are paying millions and millions of dollars can't say anything about it. No, like, that's that's not the reality. Now, do I think that Auburn's donors can get a little too involved sometimes? Yes, I think they can sometimes. But it seems like now, every time you mention a donor or anything that Auburn does, everybody's like, so toxic. I mean, you even look at the basketball arena. They renamed the basketball arena because of a $20 million donation these people have never asked anything of Bruce. They're not sitting over there asking, you know, can Chris Moore get a couple more minutes? We really like his game. Like, no, they're just sitting there and they're having a good time with the students. Like, not everybody that donates to Auburn is the boogeyman or hates the coaches or hates the athletic department. Some of them just really love Auburn. And I think even the five people, you know, that everybody says you got to impress these five people to do well at Auburn, love Auburn. I mean, they really do. They wouldn't do what They're not just doing this. I, I think it's ridiculous, the people that say they're doing it because they want a place where they can be powerful. And these people are billionaires. They're powerful people. Like, they don't need Auburn Athletics to get their power fix. They run multi-million dollar companies and made billions of dollars. Like, it's not an – I mean, there's slight ego behind it, but this is not like their outlet to go – be an ego person like the person that goes and buys season tickets and wants to say, Oh, fire the coach. <laughs> like I think that the I think that the best comparison to how college football works. Think of it like think of it like a restaurant, okay? And if you are the owner of a restaurant, then you're one of you're the biggest scholarship donor. Okay. You're one of the, the, the biggest donors or all the owners of the restaurant. And you have a waiter and your best waiter and he gives stuff away all the time. All the time, he gives stuff, gives free stuff away, and he loses money because he gives stuff away. If he is well known and he is on TripAdvisor, and everyone loves this one waiter that gives stuff away, and everybody loves the guy because he is a memorable, he's a great person, 
great people person, gives stuff away, and he's the most memorable part of your restaurant, you can't do anything. And you keep him because he brings you business. Whether he is a good waiter or not, it doesn't matter because he brings you business. But to but, the seats. Yeah, exactly. But if you have some, some dude that's giving stuff away all the time, he's not a good waiter, and people are like, oh, yeah, it's nice that he gives stuff away, but like, uh, he's not that memorable, and they talk about other things about the restaurant, well, you're going to fire that guy because he loses you money, and he doesn't counteract the losses with anything. And that is the difference in Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and Brian Harson. Brian Harson is giving stuff away. He gives stuff away. And he's, you know, he's not really gaining stuff. Like he he's a guy where the donors are like, we don't like what you're doing right now, and you're not doing anything to counteract your losses. So that's the problem. And that's why a lot of the donors don't like him, especially the donors that said, if we hired this guy, he's not going to counteract his losses. And now that they hired him, he's not counteracting his losses, and they're like, we were right. And now, obviously, there's a reason that is sprung, that they think that there is a cause to fire him. So they're springing at it because they want him gone. And, yes, they wanted him gone from the beginning, and it may have started kind of as a quote-unquote witch hunt that they were gathering intel. But if he did something wrong, like, he needs to get fired. Like, that's the bottom line. Whether It doesn't really matter how they found out that he was doing things wrong. Like, if he is doing things that are really bad, he needs to be fired. And so, you know, it's kind of like the I, I was talking to someone about the, the, the Hugh Freeze situation, and they were like, well, if nobody found out that he was calling prostitutes, he would have been fine. Well, yeah, but the problem is they did find out when he was doing something really bad, so they fired him because that's how it works. If you're doing something terrible, you have to get fired. And if that is the case with Harson. You got to get them out and you got to bring someone else in. And the whole, and I just think that it's, it's a risky business what the fans are doing. You know, the whole, the whole stop steal campaign that came around last year, that was one thing because people had a legitimate reason to say, we don't like, we don't think steel will be good. And it was obvious that a lot of the donors wanted steel because they were friends with them. And that situation was a lot more public and a lot of people knew what was going on. So the stop steal campaign was fine, and yeah, it may have done something to work. People don't know the like you don't know the Brian Harson situation. If you're going to Tumor's Corner and protesting, I stand with Harson. That could be a freezing cold take in a week. If it comes out that Brian Harson is a cold blooded murderer and has five bodies in different closets in the athletic department, you're going to look like a moron for going to Tumor's Corner and protesting that you wanted this guy to be your football coach because, well, let's think why. Because he went six and seven with a quote unquote culture change and a top 18 recruiting class. Like, are there positives to be looking at from the Harson era? Yeah. But if this guy has done something to get fired, there's not really anything that he's done where you should say, yeah, he's a bad person, but, but look at what he did, you know? Like, yeah. it's not like if this same situation happened with Dabo Sweeney and you're like, well, he's, he's been to the playoffs five times, he's won two national championships. Like, Brian Harson hasn't done anything in Auburn. So if he's done something wrong, you have to get rid of him and you have to start fresh. And I think that the sooner a decision is made, period, the better. And if we're going to fire him, it needs to be yesterday. And if we're going to keep him, we need to do every single thing in our power to make it obvious that we're going to keep him, make it obvious what happened, expose names, because the thing is, if, if Brian Harson's reputation is drawn through the mud, like you can't just leave it as empty names and be like, oh, like these people wanted him gone and it didn't work. Like you, you have to say what happened because that is how you can get rid of the cloud is with the truth. And if you know what happened, then the program is going to look a lot better because people can get past certain things. And if they know what it is, they can get past it. But if they don't know what it is, it's a lot harder to get past it because you don't know what happened. And do you want your 18-year-old kid going somewhere to play football when you remember all this stuff that happened and you're like, well, we, we still don't know how that happened. Everyone thought that Brian Harson was a horrible person and all these different rumors came out. And all of a sudden, it just kind of never – it just kind of passed away and he just didn't get fired. Well, you know that something happened. 
You just don't know what it was. So if we keep him, it needs to be obvious what this whole past week was about. And if we fire him, we need to get him gone. We need to reassure our assistants and what's happening. We need to bring someone in quick. So I think that the bottom line is a decision needs to be made and it needs to be made now. And the longer that this process draws out, the worse it looks for the program. And the thing was, we said that last Friday when we were on the podcast. And it is now Wednesday, and we're saying the same thing. And the program looks worse on Wednesday than it did on Friday. And that is why Auburn is in trouble. Yeah. And my final thought is everything – People might say that I've contradicted myself on this podcast significantly from the last one, but I would just say what I've said on both podcasts, I still stand by. And that is if Brian Horson is being targeted to be fired because they don't think he's the man for the job and they're trying to be cheapskates and get him out of his money and we fire him without cause for the full buyout, that is an absolutely moronic move, and it is so wrong what they did to his reputation, and it's embarrassing for this university. Conversely, if Brian Harson did something that is worthy of being fired for cause, just because people you know, don't like the people that had to go do this, if he did something that deserved him being fired for cause, then yes, you need to fire him for cause. If Auburn put in a stupid policy about not complying to an investigation to get him fired and there's nothing actually there, that is, again, embarrassing for the university. I just can't see that happening. I think that they may have had to put that in because he was not cooperating with whatever investigation, and this is going to force him to cooperate. And like we said, I mean, it's like we said, if there's nothing here, this is the most messed up thing. If there is something here, this is why you have people that care about your athletic department. And as of tonight, our opinion, or at least my opinion, is something happened and Auburn is trying to cover its bases because something bad happened. And another thing is, if you look at, if you look at the situation, you know, we said that obviously if, if nothing has happened, then the donors, it, it is a horrible thing that what the donors in the university have done, dragging Harson's reputation through the mud. That is a terrible thing, and they should. I mean, that, that's, that's no joke. If Harson did do something wrong, like, I, I think that the donor, like, it should come out in public what he did, and not just because, like, quote-unquote, the public deserves to know, but the reputation of the university and the donors that were pushing for him to get fired, because if he was potentially had done something really bad like they don't need their rep like they don't need everyone think because everyone in a lot of the auburn fans and a lot of the auburn fan base hold the donors in a horrible light because of really the past couple years and all the things that have happened whether that be right or wrong every a lot of people were mad about the name change to the arena because it was a don't and it wasn't a it wasn't a former player or former coach. And I'm personally I personally believe that I think that arenas should be named after former athletes or former coaches. I don't have anything. I don't. I mean, I think that the the people that the people that they're naming the arena after are great people. And I I believe that with all my heart. They're great people, and they love Auburn. They experience the game right at the court, like. They love Auburn, and I have nothing wrong with them. It's just a personal preference that I think that arena should be named after former players or coaches. I don't have anything wrong with them, though. A lot of people were mad because of the title that they possess that said donor. So you look at it, and you're like, the donors need a little bit of, if they're doing the right thing for Auburn, they need some credit for that. And it's the same thing with Rich McGlynn. Like, you've seen all this stuff for the past decade is all these people on the message board that thought they knew more about Auburn than everyone else, and they trashed Rich McGlynn, and they said, he wants us to lose. He hates Auburn. He just doesn't want us to win. He's trying to hold out Cam Newton. He's trying to hold out all these players. He's the only reason the NCAA Sharif Cooper, around. Sharif Daniel Cooper. Like, yeah, and Austin Wiley. And newsflash, like, the reason Sharif played is because of Rich. The reason that Auburn doesn't have a postseason ban is because of Rich McGlynn. And a little bit, you know, when the, when the news came out, 
is, you know, Bruce is saying, you know, shout out to Rich McGlynn. He's, he did a great job with this whole thing. And it helped the reputation a little bit, but there's still so many people that are just like, oh, Rich McGlynn hates Auburn. Well, Rich isn't going to say anything. He's just doing his job, and he's doing his job in a good way, and he's helping Auburn. But all these fans are hating on the guy, even though he's doing his job, and he is really, like, he is really helping Auburn more so than any player really is. So if the donors get rid of Brian Harson, and this is all contingent on if Brian Harson actually did something wrong, if they're the if they are the sole reason that Brian Harson gets gone after he did something horrible, they need to be credited for that because they did the right thing for the university and they did something that is going to help the university tremendously, and they need credit for that. So, I think that depending on obviously the situation, but I think that people just need to kind of have a little bit of more of an open mind and not just think. The donors are the bad guys. And the donors could be in the wrong totally in this situation. They right. really they could, could be. be the bad guys here. Yeah. And and if if it comes out they are the bad guys, then yeah, they might deserve a little bit of the flack that they're gonna get. But if they're the good guys, like this is the kind of thing where if you stand with the donors and Brian Harson doesn't get fired, it's really not that big a deal because you're standing with the, the story would be they're just selfish and want more power. If you stand with Brian Harson and the donors are right, you're really on the losing side. And I think that that's just something to keep in mind approaching this whole situation. So I, I think that kind of that concludes the Brian Harson talk as of tonight. Obviously, I, I, think that a, I think a decision will be reached in the next couple of days. I, I think that whether, whether he will be fired or he will be retained, I think that it's going to come out in the next few days, or at least more information will come out in the next few days. Like Wheeler said, obviously, we'll come back on the podcast and talk day of as soon as it happens. We'll give you guys all the information, all analysis, all that good stuff. But, you know, I think for this specific podcast, this kind of wraps up the Brian Harson talk. Obviously, if you just came on here to listen to Brian Harson, that, that's kind of it. But we're going to kind of transition a little bit more to the basketball arena after Auburn's loss last night in overtime to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Honestly, this was a game that, you know, we predicted a little bit could be a tough one. Obviously, Auburn was without starting point guard Zep Jasper, and he really saw the things that he does the best were the things that Auburn struggled with the most in this game. Um, but we either just kind of give us your analysis of kind of going into the game, what you were thinking throughout the game, and then at the end of regulation, going into overtime, just where were your, where was your mind going with all the emotions and, uh, and thoughts going into this game? If Auburn could have a loss on the back half of the season, this was the ideal time to have that. And here's why. First of all, you are playing a team that is not one of your arch rivals. So you're not playing against Georgia. You're not playing against Alabama. So you don't have that aspect of it. You're playing in front of a raucous crowd, 20,000 people who are all against you. That is not going to happen again. And that's not going to happen in the SEC or NCAA tournament. Like, Auburn fans are going to travel to neutral site games. So that's going to be the toughest environment that you play in, and you hold your own. Starting point guard out, you hold your own. You shoot horribly from the free throw line. I mean, like, horrible from the free throw line, and you still make it to overtime. You shoot horribly from the three-point line. Until Jabari Smith hit those two threes in overtime, Auburn had made like five threes the entire game, maybe less. Six, six of 30. Yeah, six of 30 total. Yeah. Yeah, and so Jabari hit two in overtime. Or did he oh, hit no, no, three no. So it was, it, it, was, it was eight for 32 total, and Jabari okay. hit three total threes. So if you ignore Jabari's contributions, we made five three-pointers. Right, so before, before overtime, you've made virtually no three-pointers. Virtually, I mean, what did we shoot free throw percentage? It was probably under 50%. 47. Yeah, 47%. I mean, that's pretty pretty historically poor free throw shooting. Um, and so you look at all of the factors that are going against you, and that's a game that you expect that you – and if I – so if I had told you, Noble, before the game, Auburn is going to shoot 5 of 30 from three-point. They're going to shoot 47% from the free throw line. And with five minutes left in the game, Alan Flanagan and 
uh, Walker Kessler are both going to have four fouls. You're not thinking that this game's going to overtime and that Auburn has the ball less with a chance to win it. You're thinking we got beat by 20. The fact that they were able to battle and claw in such a difficult environment and take that game to overtime, I mean, it just continues to reinforce what this team is. And it's like we had said, it's really hard to win all of your games in basketball. Like, losing two games in basketball is nothing. Like, it feels like it's a big deal because they rushed the court and such, and we had had such a long winning streak. But, like, you're still a one seed. You're still a one seed in the NCAA tournament. You didn't lose really anything there. You had a tough night on the road. You didn't lose to a rival. You didn't lose bragging rights. Like, I don't know. It, and everybody wants to say, oh, they're an unranked team. They should not have been an unranked team. Their record definitely indicates that they should be ranked. They're going to be ranked next week. Like, it's not like you went and lost to a bad team. That's the other thing. It's not like you did this and went and lost to Missouri. Like, beating teams like Missouri, you want to beat them. Like, those are not games that you find a moral victory in. Going and losing on the road to this Arkansas team, like, they're in contention to win the SEC right now. Auburn only has a two-game lead on them in the SEC. They could legitimately win the SEC. Like, that Regular is a, season, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is a really solid basketball team that you just went and took to overtime. Um, and I, I think, you know, you kind of had the fan base that was like, okay, we needed a loss. Like, this is okay. You had some fans that were bashing the players. And I'm like, come on. Like, you can't, can't say that they're your favorite team ever and you love everything about them when they win 19 straight and then they lose one in overtime. And you're like, they're selfish. They don't even, they aren't playing for each other. And I'm like, okay, come on, please stop. Uh, and I think really the only thing that you look back on, and I don't even want to say you blame, but I think you do you do slightly regret is that last possession. Because I don't even I don't hate I don't hate Wendell taking the three, taking a three. I don't mind him having the ball. Everybody said you had to have it to Jabari. I I mean I'm of the opinion it would have been a good thing to get Jabari the ball. But at the same time, they're covering for Jabari. Like, the, and the Wendell, best Wendell look you're going to get. He had scored nine straight. Like, yeah. He had scored nine straight. Like, he I, – I think – and Jabari really – Jabari was cold. Until the very end of the game in overtime, he was cold. So, I don't, I don't complain with Wendell having the last shot at all. No, he literally just won the game for you on Saturday at Georgia. I think that the thing that is – tough to swallow is you have a chance to win the game and the shot you take and I mean it's not even a buzzer beater there was still like three seconds left when you take it is a shot from the pigtail on the logo and it's like that's just not the shot or the time you want that is not the look you could have gotten a better look and that's what I think is so difficult is if you make a drive to the basket and they all collapse on you and you get a bad look it's like, well, you drove to the basket. You were hoping for a foul. You didn't get it. A logo three is never the best look you can get when there's four seconds left on the clock. So, tough. That's a tough thing that even with all of that, you fought and lost on something that it wasn't a great call. And everybody said, I don't know why Bruce doesn't call a timeout there and draw up a play. Auburn doesn't. I mean, I don't. Maybe I'm just totally wrong here. I haven't seen many dynamic plays being drawn up. Like, other teams do a really good job defending Auburn's inbounds. If there's anything that's a weakness for Bruce as a coach, it's his drawing up the plays on the sidelines because I feel like we always get scored on when the other team draws up their play coming out of a timeout, and we typically do not have a great execution of a play coming out of a timeout. Um because that's not the style that Bruce's guys play. Like, half-court offense is not their thing. Going in transition and catching them when their defense is a little flustered, that's what Auburn does. That's how you're going to get your best look. You don't want to call a timeout there with the style Auburn plays. So, great effort. Tough way to lose. Glad it wasn't against Georgia. I would rather Wendell go and score and beat Georgia than Arkansas. Then everybody got all fired up about Arkansas Duncan. And I'm just going to say this. I am one of the biggest Auburn fans in this whole world. But the video of him jumping over Wendell on the rim and the lights go out and the flame goes up and the fans storm the court, 
That was pretty dope. I'm just going to say it. Like, it was lit. It really was. I hated to see it in the moment, but, like, it was an awesome video. Yeah, and I, I don't understand another thing was the, the outcry that I saw from the fans of Arkansas celebrating the win like they did. Like, they just beat the number one team in the country. They st- Like, that's what you do. You storm the court. It's what you do. You dunk. Like, at the end of the possession, it's what you do. Auburn's done that before. Auburn stormed the court after we beat Kentucky in 2016. And that was a, like, it was a program win, but it was like, it didn't, that, that Auburn team didn't do anything. And we knew that we weren't going to do anything. It was a fun game. We knew that we won. Like, Arkansas actually, like, that win meant something. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure Devin's had a couple late game, you know, you're going to win, but it's a big game. He goes for the exclamation dunk to juice up the home crowd. It's what you do. I was not mad about that aspect at all. Um, I think that, you know, Eric Musselman, I think he was a little, and, you know, I, I've seen differing opinions on this, but I, I think he was a little, uh, I think that they took the whole, the quote-unquote dancing on the logo. They definitely saw that as a disrespectful move. I really don't think that that was the intent of the team. I mean, they dance before every game. They do that before every game. They do it in our locker room. Uh, before they run out, they do it after their shoot-around like they did against Arkansas. They always do it either in the paint or on Auburn's logo. They do it one or the other. I've been to multiple away games. They either do it in the paint or on the logo. Like, they do it every game. I don't think that that was necessarily something that they meant as disrespectful, but, I mean, that's bulletin board material. Because if you watch the video and you don't know that Auburn does that every game, you're like, oh, they're dancing on our logo, and it – you know, it juices everyone up. And I don't think it really makes a difference at all, but it was just something, uh, just a comment on that. Um, for the last possession, the, the, the thing was, you know, it was extremely reminiscent for the people who are NBA fans. It was extremely reminiscent of Damian Lillard's step-back logo shot to send the Thunder home in the playoffs a couple years ago. The differences in those games, and obviously the differences besides the fact that it's NBA and college basketball and Damian Lillard and Wendell Green. If you ignore that difference, Dame that game had 47 at the time. He was, I mean, he was lights out that whole game. He was hot. Wendell was one of seven for, or one of six from three when he made that. Sh- like, he wasn't necessarily hot. And it was, he had scored a lot, but he hadn't been shooting threes. He had been getting to the rack. He'd been shooting mid range. Like, and the thing was, he took a deep three when he could have taken a couple more steps and taken a normal three and still have been open. And he had 22 seconds. I mean, it was, a, it was an ISO play. The high ball screen comes, and he goes and just shoots the deep three. And the play is the ball screen's going to come, and he can either stop and pull it or he can go. And he opted to stop and pull it. And, you know, obviously it was the exact same play that Jared Harper had in the 2019 semifinals SEC, against Florida yep. in the SEC tournament. Jared drains it. We go up by four you know, nail in the coffin. We win. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Jared is cold-blooded. He's so good. What a play. And then when Wendell misses it and you're like, that was a stupid shot. Was it a stupid shot? Yeah. But if he makes it, all the people that are saying it was a stupid shot are saying, oh, my gosh, icy win. Not a matter of if, but when. And everyone's going crazy. So I think that you just have to put it in perspective a little bit. Obviously, he could have made a better play, but he didn't. Wendell played 38 minutes, had 19 points. Biggest thing, seven turnovers for Wendell. And that was one of the biggest things in the game. Auburn had 19 turnovers total. That, you know, I, I don't think Auburn turns the ball night turns the ball over 19 times if we have Zep. And this is obviously it's not an excuse because I think that with Zep, I I still don't even, you know, you can look and obviously we played better with Zep, but it wouldn't have been an easy win with Zep. Zep makes us better. But at the end of the day, we played – we didn't play good enough to win. And Walker was really the only guy that played really well. And Walker played really well. I mean, he played phenomenal. The only thing that you can really fault him with was his free throw shooting and possibly his three-point shooting. Even, I mean, he shot 40%, which is good. Best, probably um, better than anybody else on the team other than maybe Jabari. Yeah, and so – you know, Walker played a great game. Jabari was a little cold until he just literally could not miss at the very end. But the biggest thing is, 
free throw shooting. And it it's really easy to just look at it and be like, in that overtime setting, before we go to overtime, if we just make one more free throw, then we're up. And it, you just you go back to when KD misses two straight. You go back to when Walker missed two, had a lane violation, had a third chance of it, and missed they missed three straight free throws. And that's the biggest thing is that we just couldn't make our free throws. And I think that all the people saying that we needed a loss, we needed a loss, I really don't think we did. I, I don't think we needed a loss. I think what we needed is to see that we won't win against a good team if we don't play well. Because a loss against Arkansas is so much better than a loss against Missouri and Georgia. Because Missouri and Georgia, they're thinking, we just were off. Like, they're not good. We were off. They beat us. This was a game we would have beaten Missouri and Georgia fairly. I think, I mean, I think we win those. I mean, I think if we played like we did against Arkansas, against Missouri and Georgia, I think we win both those games by 10. They played good enough to beat a decent basketball team, but they didn't play well enough to beat a good basketball team. And I think that that is the most encouraging thing from the night is that we played good enough to beat some teams. We didn't play good enough to beat Arkansas. And I think that it's going to kind of change the approach and it's going to be the kind of loss that actually hits home and actually they can grow from because they actually, like, they didn't play horrible. I mean, against Missouri, they played horrible. They weren't going to learn a ton from that game because they're like, that was our worst game of the season. We're not going to play that bad ever again. This game, they could play like this. You can go to the – if we if that team that goes – that performed against Arkansas goes straight into the NCAA tournament, we cruise to the Sweet 16. That team's good enough to beat to win two games in the NCAA tournament. We have to step it up a notch if we want to win a national championship, and I'm hoping that this game will be the reason. Some encouraging aspects I saw. Really, the, the biggest encouraging aspect I saw was Chris Moore. Chris Moore coming off the bench, put up great. He played nine minutes, and he played great minutes. I mean, I, I would say those were his best minutes all season, and he really has not been a factor in really any of the games recently. You know, there was a depth need. He stepped up, and, yeah, he only played nine minutes, but he made a difference on the court, and he allowed Allen – only play 28. When Allen got into foul trouble, Chris Moore came in. Arkansas didn't go on a run. Chris Moore on the floor. He did his job. And, you know, he, he kind of got to the point where he was playing within the offense and he was playing in a better role than he's had. So, you know, it, it's good for when the SEC tournament rolls around and you can put in Chris Moore to steal some minutes and him not be bad. So I, I think that that was an encouraging aspect. I think there were things to be encouraged by about last night, obviously. You want to win. You want to win every game. But I think that as games go, if you had to pick one, you wanted to pick this one. And if you could have picked a way for us to lose, that was the best way for us to lose the game. Yeah, totally agree. And, uh, you know, hopefully on Saturday you have Zep back. And, you know, everybody kind of makes the joke about John Rothstein. uh tweeting about Leor Berman being out but honestly like if you hit if you get a guy to come off the bench and hit a couple threes like that's huge for the team and so I mean they really are they're missing him a little bit um plus just as a another depth piece that can come into the game because I thought this was the first game that uh that Auburn played where they looked like the tired team and, I mean, it's been a brutal stretch of games and travel. And, I mean, the trip out to Arkansas is not easy. Like, that is a long trip to make. When you had a game that went to the last minute on Saturday in Athens and then you drive back to Auburn and then you fly out to Arkansas, like, that's just brutal, especially at this stage in the season. So, hey, the game is on Tuesday. You'll have a couple of – an extra day to recover. Um before the game on Saturday, maybe they can get their legs back under them. And I, Texas A&M's a good basketball team and kind of plays a, a, a style that Auburn struggles with. So I wouldn't look for – a lot of people said, oh, Texas A&M took the biggest L tonight because they're about to get run by Auburn. Like, I wouldn't – a win is a win. And you don't need to get wrapped up in whether we blow them out or not because I think – we can definitely win against Texas A&M. I think we will win. I don't know that the expectation of us running them out of the gym, though, is going to come to pass.
and like, you know, this is, you know, one of the last things I'll say about AM, but it's like in the past four seasons, I think, I think we, uh, ignoring the last year where COVID made the arena not even, uh, it didn't matter if you were home or away. But in the last four seasons where we've actually had home games, I think we've only lost four or five games at home. I know for a fact, Texas AM has been two of them. Like, Texas A&M is the one team that's kind of Auburn's kryptonite when we play them at home. Like, usually you're always like, oh, we're comfortable when we play at home. I mean, A&M, A&M's comfortable too. Like, they, they have a decent record. They have a better record against us at home in the past five years than anyone. So, yeah, I mean, obviously our home environment's tough and it'll be a good environment. But, like, Texas A&M has kind of proven that the jungle doesn't really rattle them. So, I, I think that this is an interesting game. I think that I am expecting Auburn to win this game by double digits, but it, it's not it's not a game that you can just overlook and be like, oh, Texas A&M will beat them. Yeah. But, you know, I think that kind of, you know, Auburn is obviously, if you look at the, um, if you look at the SEC standings after Auburn's loss to Arkansas, moving down a little bit, the race is a little bit closer. Auburn is still first. Uh, Kentucky is one game behind us. Arkansas is two. Tennessee is two and a half. And then you have Mississippi State and Florida tied for four games behind. Obviously, you don't really have to worry about them. Auburn is still in the position where we control our own destiny. We can win it all. Or, you know, we can win the SEC regular season if we just win out. If we drop one, we'll need a little bit of help from the rest of the SEC in beating Kentucky once. Kentucky has a tougher schedule. They still have to play Tennessee on the road. They have to play Arkansas on the road. Um, I think that if Kentucky if if Kentucky could drop one, I think that we'll we'll be safe no matter what. Um, and personally, I think Auburn wins out. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think Auburn wins out going into the SEC tournament. I think we have a new win streak going. Um, and I think that I think that Auburn is going to be back to the Auburn basketball that we have expected from this team. I think we'll see that again on Saturday and beyond going into Vanderbilt, Florida, and Ole Miss for our next stretch of games. Yeah, I agree. And I think having the number one monkey off your back is just – I'm glad that it happened. I'm glad they were number one, but it's not the worst thing to not be number one anymore. Yeah, and as of right now, like we're still the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, especially if we can – you know, if we win out and we win the SEC tournament, we're the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which honestly, like, it's nice having the number one next year name, but in the NCAA tournament being the number one overall seed, who cares what the AP poll says about you? Now, granted, we might fall. I expect us to fall to around three. Um, who knows? Jesse Newell might have us unranked after this week. I mean, who knows? We'll see. But I, I do agree that not having that that number one on you can, uh, can definitely help for, with the psychological aspect. But – I think that kind of wraps up today's podcast. Obviously, like we said, we'll probably be back soon, sooner rather than later, I would think, to discuss a little bit more football. If not, if nothing really happens in football, we'll probably be back next week to discuss more basketball. And obviously, if anything monumental happens in the football world, uh, we'll come on, update y'all, and just kind of talk about it. Um, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. It really means a lot. And if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to DM the page and we're eagle. Where are you going?